Hi, Pastor John here. Welcome to our broadcast. We're blessed to have you join us. Today's sermon is Gehazi from 2 Kings chapter 5. It's an integral part of last week's sermon, which was Naaman, and it picks up where that one left off. Gehazi's story deals with something that has become culturally precious in recent times, privacy. Oh, we value our privacy, don't we? Would it surprise you to hear that privacy is a myth? There's no such thing as true privacy? Join our service and see if you agree. Before we get to our passage today, I just want to spend a minute or two with you and tell you what happens to this collection when we take it on Sunday morning. Um, because it would be easy to kind of look around and say, well, we've got this church, this facility, uh, how much could it cost? But, you know, our, our scope is actually worldwide. Uh, we're on a site called Sermon Audio. Last month, we got out to 16 different countries, 600 and some odd downloads. It's an extra 125 or so, 150 um, homes and offices tuning us to, into us each week. Uh, but it doesn't end there because we've got the YouTube channel. Uh, we just uh, went on the One Vision 190, Channel 190, uh, which goes out to 22 countries. Uh, we're hosting uh, Andre Ruiz, who is the head of that channel. We've given him some office space. He uses our studio to do some cuts. And uh, we will begin broadcasting on that channel at 5.30 every Sunday afternoon, starting tonight. And that's a streaming channel. It's not on the service. It's available to everybody. Uh, we also are hosting Ethnos College, uh, Dr. Tyrone Champion, is starting the first accredited Christian college in Fauquier County. He's got offices upstairs in the townhouse, and we're honored to be part of that ministry. Uh, but there's even more going on. We support regularly 11 missionaries. Uh, we send some money to 11 missionaries scattered throughout the world, and some local ones as well. Uh, and so 10% of everything that you put in the collection plate goes to our outreach efforts, to these missionaries. And we do over and above that as well. So just as an example, last month uh, we sent $1,500 to La Casa Mi de Padre um, down in El Salvador. They had a matching funds thing going on. We've got an orphanage down there. It's a really great. Gary Powell down there is doing a really great work. We were able to help them out. There's a small church on Thassos Island called Thassos Christian Fellowship. They adopted Kelly and I when we were over there in 2010. It's the only evangelical church in a hundred-mile radius in northern Greece. So uh, they're small in the wintertime, and they, they explode in the summertime because internationals are coming uh, to visit Thassos Island, and they wanted translators. They, 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 there are these devices you have that can hear one language and translate it into another. So they go from 12 or 14 folks on Sunday morning to 50, 60, 70, and 80 sometimes. Except everybody that sits in front of them doesn't understand Greek. So we supplied them with 40 translators by sending them a rather nominal cash, about $300 or so. They're absolutely thrilled to have it. Uh, we helped Amanda Gray last month, who's going on a missionary, an exploratory missionary trip uh, to uh, Mongolia, and she had a matching funds thing. We were able to send her some money. Uh, Pastor Ovidio, now you're all familiar with Pastor Ovidio, right? And so he started this ministry of ministering to Ukrainian refugees, 
for the first time in the 15 years or so that we've known Pastor Vidi, he said, I need money. We've sent him so far over $30,000. And he literally said, okay, okay, that's enough. That's enough. So the generosity of the folks at Warrington Bible Fellowship is reaching ministries all across the world. We're about to start supporting Dan and Kay Bolin. They sit right over here on Sunday mornings. They're traveling right now. They have a ministry called Refueling <coughs> in Flight. And Dan travels on behalf of Christian mission, Christian mission camps and uh, sabbaticals. So we'll be able to help them. And in a couple of weeks, two more weeks, we'll, be ha- we'll have a visit from Tim and Lindsay Butch. Uh, they work with Young Life and they feel they've been called the whales. So you get a chance to meet them as well. So we have a lot going on, and and our reach goes far beyond this sanctuary, brothers and sisters. And I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for being so committed and so faithful in your support. Give yourself a hand. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 19 through 27. And I want to share with you while you're there the most terrifying moment I've had in my entire life. Maybe not my entire life. But in another life, at another time, I was younger, I went to a party. And um, it, it was a large party, a lot of people milling around this house. It was wintertime. And, uh, you know, I had to use the, the powder room. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but if you're in somebody else's house and you have that moment where you go to flush a toilet and it's not flushing. And it's backing up. And I'm like, No! Well, it, it, I felt fortunate it didn't overflow. And so I just kind of walked out and closed the door. And, and 10 minutes later, somebody goes, somebody overflowed the toilet. And I'm standing there and, and I had a friend with me. And he said, it was you. I'm like, ah, don't tell anybody. I didn't think anybody knew. No. And he said something to me that you've heard me say before. John, there are no secrets. There are no secrets. You know, we value our privacy, don't we? Truth of the matter is that there are no secrets. Now, we're going to see this in our follow-up to last week's sermon. We talked about Naaman last week. This week, we're going to talk about Gehazi. Uh, Proper name is Gehazi, but we're we're going to English it and call him Gehazi. This is number 13 in our series Lessons for today from the Old Testament. So last week we heard about Naaman. And Naaman was a Gentile warrior, a big guy, an enemy of Israel. He was famous, favored. And he becomes a believer in the one true God by a gift of grace. We just talked about grace in the catechism. Naaman's transformed when he's healed of leprosy. Now, Naaman's story was chock full of self-centered people. The foremost was Naaman right there at the beginning before he was transformed. But then there was Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. Uh, He thought he could order the king of Israel around, thought he could order the prophet in Israel around, and really thought he could order the God of Israel around. Then there was Joram, the king of Israel. He was self-centered as well. He had more fear than he had faith, and he worried more about himself than, than to do what he had been taught to do, is to trust in God. Now, it's hard to do when we're in tough circumstances, so we can kind of sympathize with that. But Joram had a long history by the time he became king of learning to trust in God. And he just wasn't able to get there. So this week we're going to take a look at a Hebrew man 
supposedly a devout Hebrew, a believing Jew, but also one who is equally self-centered. And he believes that he can move secretly to satisfy his own desire to provide for himself. But he's going to find out differently, and he's going to find out in a really tragic manner. Gehazi's experience is one of having a spectacular fall. Now, we've got three elements to Gehazi's fall here. We have his lust in 2 Kings 5, verse 20. We have the lie that he told in 21 through 24. And then we have the leprosy that he contracted in verse 25 through 27. So let's take a look at this lust that gets a hold of Gehazi in verse 20. Now, last week, Naaman had been miraculously healed. He wanted to give Elijah gifts. We'll talk about those in a little bit. But he, he had these gifts of precious metals, precious cloth that can make clothing from. And Elijah refused them. And, and so Naaman then said, okay, well, you know, I, I need to know whether or not God is going to forgive me because I have to accompany the king, Ben-Hadad, when he goes in to worship Ramon, who is really Baal. So I have to do this. And I hope God will excuse me from it. And so and he wanted some dirt to take back so that he could remember the God of Israel, remember what the God of Israel had done with him. Uh, and so whenever he went in the king, he would have the dirt around, and it would be a reminder of who his true God was. So in verse 19, he, Elisha, said to Naaman, go in peace. Now, that's an indication that God will continue to provide for and protect Naaman. God knows his heart, and he's not going to condemn him for doing something he has to do. As a matter of fact, Naaman could well become a, uh, a witness for the gospel uh, uh, there in Syria. So as we look at the history of Israel at this moment, if, if you're familiar with, with what's happening in 2 Kings, we see that Naaman, an enemy of Israel, sworn enemy, seems to have more faith in God than much of Israel. He believes more than a lot of the Jews do. Now, keep in mind that God sends prophets in the Old Testament. You know, I, I hear a lot about the prophetic movement today. And people want to tell me what's going to happen in the future and uh, what I have my rights to and what God wants to bless me from. But when God sends prophets in the Old Testament, there, there is a warning. They're always there to say, turn around, you're going in the wrong direction. You have time to repent. So, so Israel now has Elisha. And he's there to warn them to turn away from the direction that they're going in. He he's, wants to emphasize, now the, the, the author of Second Kings wants to emphasize this point, and he's going to use Gehazi as an example of what's going on in Israel at that time. So as Naaman leaves Elisha's house, we see this, but when, second half of 19, but when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, verse 20, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, now there's an emphasis here, Gehazi serves Elisha, Elisha is God's emissary, he doesn't want us to forget that. See, my master has spared this Naaman. I love the NIV here. Because it says, my master has gone too easy on this Naaman the Syrian. It's not, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him 
and get something from it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go get something. Elisha didn't want it, but I do. We see a lot about Gehazi and what's happening in his heart here. He's been with Elisha for a long time. I mean, he shows up for the first time in, in chapter 4 of 2 Kings, but that was literally some things that happened years prior to this moment. So he must have been trusted. He must have been close enough to Elijah to witness everything that went on between Elijah and Naaman. And surprisingly, Gehazi has, doesn't seem to have an opinion on this Naaman when he says, I've got to go worship another god. I hope I can be forgiven for that. That doesn't seem to bother him too much. In particular, after Naaman has seen the power and the love of the one true God. He seems to have no objection to a Gentile receiving more and greater blessings than a lot of the Jews have. All he's really interested in are the gifts. He wants the stuff. He wants the prizes. He wants the ones that Elisha turned down. Now remember that Elisha turned down those gifts because he wanted all credit and all glory to go to God. He didn't want to have any of that on him. He wasn't the one that was doing the healing. It was God. And it's at this moment that Gehazi's greed gets a hold of him. He says, well, if Elijah wouldn't take anything from Naaman, I will. Really? And if we stop to think about this, what Gehazi's really suffering from is self-interest. He's one of the bad guys in the whole scenario. He doesn't depend on God to provide for him. He's got to provide for himself. He's got to do something to take care of himself. Any of us understand that? I know there are times when I feel like I've got to do something to take care of myself. There are times when I feel like I've got to get involved. Oh, somebody's got to do something. You ever hear that? I feel that way. All I'm really doing is saying, God's not really sovereign. He needs my help. And when it comes to our own personal welfare, I don't know if God's going to take care of me. Or how about this one? (laughs) I don't know if God's going to take care of me the way I want to be taken care of. So I better get in and grab some. Isn't that what Gehazi's doing? Now, it sounds pretty outrageous. But watch this. The original amount, if we were to convert all the gifts that Naaman brought when he wanted to give a gift to Elisha, the gold, the silver, the cloth, would be about $750 million. Take the king of Israel $750 million. That's what Elisha turned down. He turned down the type of money that at that time would sustain an entire country for decades. And Gehazi, Gehazi is only going to ask for a small fraction of that. So watch it. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and here's where his lie is. 
And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him, and he said, it's all well. It's fairly unusual. Uh, you know, that, hey, look, this guy's running. We saw him at Elijah's house. Is everything okay? Something happened. What's going on? And he said, Gehazi said, verse 22, all is well, my master has sent me to say, they have just now come to me, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men and the sons of the prophets. Total fabrication. But absolutely plausible. Gehazi shows how wily he is. Watch this. Two young men, the sons of the prophets. Please give them, don't give to me, a talent of silver. About $200,000 in today's money. For Gehazi, it's about 300 years pay. And two changes of clothing. Again, it sounds outrageous, but it's really not all that much. I mean, this guy's brought so much stuff with him. What's $200,000 compared to $750 million? So small it would seem insignificant compared to all the rest. As a matter of fact, to Naaman, the request sounds kind of humble. Verse 23, and Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged them and tied up two talents. And now he asked for one. He's given them two. Two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothing. And laid them on the two of his servants and they carried them before Gehazi. Naaman not only generously gives Gehazi more than he asked for. Now we're talking about a half a million dollars. But he gives him, it's so much, it's so outrageous that he's got to give him two servants to help him carry it back to Elisha's house. Verse 24, and when he, Gehazi, came to the hill. Now, this is most likely the hill where the Samaritans worship God. Uh, you can go there today. It's just uh, north of a small town called Nablus. Uh, we would, in the Old Testament, they called it Shechem. Uh, Elisha would have been very close to that. When they came to the hill, he took from them for their hand and put them in the house. Now, the house we're talking about is the house where Gehazi lives with Elisha. He would be living with him. And he sent the men away, and they departed. The, Gehazi has lied. He's lied to Naaman. And now he's got this stuff in the house. And as we're going to see, he plans on lying to Elisha if Elisha sees it. And that leads to Gehazi's leprosy. Verse 25, and he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? Uh-oh. He wants to know where I've been. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that. I was kind of like that as I walked out of the powder room with a little sweat on my forehead, hope nobody saw me. I'll bet you Gehazi's going through the same thing. Why do you want to know where I've been? And, and I mean, you know, if, if you understand what's happening in the scene, you can see Elijah going, yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, tell me, tell me, where have you been? So, God has taught his people by Gehazi's time to repent when they sin. I think sometimes we forget that these days. In particular, if you carry a burden around with you, we forget that God has given us a tool to restore us to a right relationship with him. It's called repentance. 
And it's not just saying I'm sorry, but it's a heartfelt grieving over what we've done. It's a heartfelt turning away from what we've done. And this lesson has been going on with God's people ever since Abraham and Sarah. So God has taught his people to repent when they sin. This is God's golden moment. Repentance is supposed to relieve themselves of the burden. God taught them that sin was foremost, not an offense to other people, but an offense to God. Have you ever thought about that? You know, when somebody sins against you, uh, first and foremost, it's an offense to the character and nature of God. God is a God of truth. When you sin against somebody, your first offense is between you and your Father in heaven. That's why whenever you go to one of these services where somebody says, oh, if you've got any offense against somebody, go take care of it right now. The first person you should take care of it with is to bow your head and say, Father, forgive me. I've been in those services. Have you? Sometimes a person I've offended doesn't live anymore. What do I do? It's an inadequate definition of sin. Sin is against God. And, and God's trying to teach his people this. But Gehazi, Gehazi's not standing before God, is he? He's standing before Elijah. Elijah's just a man. How could Elijah know what he was doing? He's miles away. I mean, he hid the stuff in the house, probably a large house. And so Gehazi said, your servant went nowhere. Where have you been Gehazi, oh, nowhere. And the lies begin to pile up. Gehazi should know better by now. He's been with Elijah for years. He's seen the blessings and the miracles. Verse 26. But Elijah said to him, Gehazi, did not, watch this, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you. Elisha knows. He knows. I mean, Gehazi should have known. This man talks to God. Okay? Not only does he talk to God, but God speaks to him. Sometimes in an audible voice. Yes, that God. The one God who knows everything. Sometimes I think we forget that God knows everything. Sometimes I think that God doesn't see in the dark spaces. Gehazi certainly thought that Elijah couldn't see wherever he had hid this stuff. Sometimes we, we treat God like he, he just needs some more information or there's some information we could keep from him. But Elisha speaks to the God who knows everything. And then Elisha says, was, was this a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Now, Elijah's alluding to the fact that Gehazi's life would be changed by that much money. He'd be able to buy all this stuff. And Elijah had clearly indicated earlier that it was a time to give God credit, God glory, not a time for personal gain. Gehazi knew this. He should have known that Elijah turned down infinitely more than what Gehazi had hid in the house, but Gehazi thought no one would see him. Thought he had a secret. Maybe 
Maybe he thought the amount was so small compared to everything that Naaman had brought that no one would notice. It's just, it's just a small sin. You, you don't understand. My whole life could change. It's just, just a small lie. I'm sure your sons would come and visit you sometime. And I set it all in this room for you when you need it. <laughs> we ever do that? Ever explain to God why we had to do what we did? Really not that bad. Not as bad as what was done to me. God noticed. Gehazi sinned. He lied. And he stole. But more importantly, he took payment. He took credit for something that God had done. Now, Gehazi didn't say, oh, you know, I was part of the team that healed your son. Or healed you of leprosy. But that payment was meant to go to the one who healed. And now Gehazi's taking some of it. And it was God who did the healing. Brothers and sisters, there are consequences. There are consequences for sinning. And Gehazi would pay him. Verse 27. Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. So not only does Gehazi contract leprosy, but it's going to impact his entire family. No private sins. There are consequences for sin. Hear me carefully. Hear me carefully. I'm not saying that if you've done something to offend God and you're a child of God, that you're not saved anymore. I'm just saying that, that what God's trying to show the Jews is that when you do these things, it hinders our relationship. Something comes between you and me. I've given you repentance so that this can be removed. Just use it. Just confess your sin. If you don't confess, I'm not kicking you out of the family. But things aren't going to be the same. So Gehazi's life is going to be miserable. And because of what he did, the lives of those that come after him is going to be miserable. So there's the three elements of Gehazi's fall. We have the lust. He's led by his sense of greed, which is really just a sense of self-preservation. He runs after riches, thinking he can keep a secret. He knows why Elijah turned down the gifts. He understands what's going on. And still he's unable to control his self-centeredness. And he runs after what he thinks he needs. Maybe God doesn't know that he needs this. And he does that instead of being happy with what God gave him. Isn't that what greed drives us to do? Get more? Nothing wrong with getting more, brothers and sisters. Nothing wrong with having an IRA or a savings account. It's okay. But when we come to depend on those things more than we depend on our Father in Heaven, we're in trouble. Gehazi was depending on himself. We saw Gehazi's lie. He lies to Naaman, then to Elisha. Ultimately, Gehazi is lying to God himself, trying to convince himself and God that, watch this, He's trying to convince himself and God that 
truth and reality are defined by Gehazi, not God. He's going to change the truth. If I speak this fabrication out, then it will become my reality. This is why people say the first person you lie to is yourself. You see, this kind of lie is a self-serving, self-sustaining distortion of the truth. It's not the same as Rahab's lie we looked at a couple weeks ago. She lied to preserve life. Gehazi's lie says to God, you're not really in charge. I'm in charge. I define truth, not you. It's a denial of who God is. This is why lying is such a terrible offense. And that's why there are consequences. That's why Gehazi has leprosy. He lied, he stole, he misrepresented himself, he was greedy. And maybe, maybe it was just a singular moment of weakness. We've had that, haven't we? We've all had a moment when we did something we didn't want to do. Paul talks about it. Wow, wretched man that I am, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? We've had those moments. We can understand this maybe. And, and because of this, because of what Paul says, because of what we see here with Gehazi, we need to be on our guard, brothers and sisters. We can't let it down. We need to practice our spiritual disciplines. Every time I talk about this, somebody says, oh, that's legalism. Okay, God tells us to pray, doesn't he? Is it legalism to obey? God tells us to read our Bibles. Is it legalism to, to do that? And that's when we become weak, when we don't have a strong relationship with God. We don't understand what his word says. We don't go from before him on a daily basis and understand that he knows everything. We delude ourselves into thinking we can fool him. Gehazi's life is going to suffer because of what he did. But watch this. His relationship with God. And that's what I'm talking about. His relationship with God is still intact. He's still one of the chosen people. He's still Elisha's man. Now we know this is true because he shows up in 2 Kings chapter 8. Three chapters down the, the book. And what's he doing there? He's advising the new king. Most likely at a distance. Because he has leprosy. And it's already been prophesied over him that it's not going away. But there he is in the king's court. Second Kings 8.4, a little bit later, maybe a couple years later. Now the king was talking with Gehazi. The servant of the man of God. He's still Elijah's servant. Elijah has forgiven. Elijah has restored him. Consequences haven't gone away. But his relationship with God isn't broken. How encouraging is that? Gehazi's learned a valuable lesson. Still enjoys the love of God and the blessings of being one of his children. I love that. We need to understand there are no secrets. The reason my friend knew it was me, and I get a chuckle at this every time I think about it, a piece of toilet paper stuck to my shoe. See, my friend could see it, and I thought it was hidden. We do that with God. We think the things that we do 
are hidden. God knows everything. He knows what's happened in the past. He knows what's happening now. He knows what's happening in the future. Now, that might strike terror into your heart. Sometimes it scares me. I I think we need to be honest with each other. There are times when I hope God's looking the other way. We were in Israel with Shabbat. And we're hanging around with the people that are our bus guides. Kelly and I were having a great trip. And so Shabbat, no, you're not supposed to do any work. So we're talking about, well, what do you do? How do you make your meals? Well, we make them the day before. Wow, what do you do with the dishes? Oh, we stack them in the dishwasher. So you leave them in the dishwasher until after Shabbat. And our bus guide says, no, we don't believe God sees little fingers. So we lean against the dishwasher and maybe it turns on. See, we conduct ourselves like that sometimes, don't we? We don't think God sees little fingers. God doesn't see little lies. But he does. And that's not there to condemn us, brothers and sisters. It's not there to kick us out of heaven. It's there for us to use the tool of repentance that he's given us. God has given us a repentance to restore our relationship to him. And the only reason that we have that tool to use is because Jesus died on the cross and paid for all of our sins. The big ones and the little ones. Now, if you believe in him, you're going to heaven. There's a place reserved for you. Regardless of what you're going through today, regardless of how good or bad you've been, you're going to heaven. Now, the question is, what's going to happen between now and that moment that you stand before him? And we have the opportunity to live a life in peace and joy. All we have to do is deal with the sins that we commit that we commit on a daily basis. And we deal with that by repenting. Praise God. Praise God that his son died so that we could have this. Praise God that he made the gospel simple. All we need to do is believe in him, confess our sins, and we'll have eternal life. Let's give thanks, and then we'll take communion together. Father, we thank you for Gehazi. We thank you for the lesson we learned there. We thank you, Lord, that he was able to continue on. Carried a burden, but Lord, we know that he could have repented from that as well. We pray that your spirit would spur us on to repentance, Father. Spur us on to a holier life. Spur us on to avoid those sins that would grab hold of us and tell us that we need to depend on ourselves and we can't depend on you. Father, forgive us for those times we've done that. And by the presence and power of your spirit, bring us into a deeper walk, a closer relationship with you. Even as we give thanks that the only reason we're able to do this at all because of the sacrifice that your son made. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Jimmy Carter to come up and serve communion. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Men and women of Christ, we have again the mind-blowing privilege of spending a few moments, very special moments, with the God-man and King of the universe. We call it communion. And as our deacons come forward to serve us the elements of this delicious and breathtaking meal, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, when Jesus took this meal with his disciples, 
It was a 1,500-year-old tradition. It was old. And Jesus took all the elements of that meal, every single symbol, every single cup, every single word, every single detail of that meal, and brought it to its fullness because he is the Lamb of God, correct? So today, let's remember the very special gift that Jesus has given us and is giving us to spend these few moments with him in a very special way. And that's why we ask for those of you online and those here in the big room with us, that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's a right and intimate relationship with him, don't engage in this. You know why? Because if you do, you're lying. You see, this is a gift that Jesus wants to give to those who have come to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we want you to enjoy this with us, but it's a requirement that you be in the family. So if you participate in this beautiful moment, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're lying to yourself and to those around you. We don't want that, do we? So we are going to take this meal and we're going to remember the gift that Christ has given us, okay? We're going to begin with the symbol of bread. And let's not forget that Jesus took that bread and it was unleavened bread. It was like a cracker. He broke it ceremoniously and he said to his disciples, his followers, remember me. This is my body that I'm going to give up for you. And as Brother John just preached to us, it is the matter of the mechanism by which the Father will relieve us of our crimes against him. Those crimes are going to be levied onto Jesus. So let's distribute the uh, elements of the bread, please. Thank you. And as these are coming to you, remember that Jesus took every single detail of the Seder meal and he rolled it into the glory that he is Amashiach, he is Messiah. So as you take this symbol of Christ's body into your hand, we are going to remember his humble birth, his honorable life, his horrible death, and his hallelujah resurrection. As you take this symbol of the body of Jesus, the God-man, into your hand. And on the night that he was arrested and betrayed, Jesus took that bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, take this and eat it and remember me. For this is the body that will be sacrificed for you to free you from the penalty of sin. Take it and eat. There were several cups that were consumed during the Seder meal. 
This cup, though, that Jesus emphasized was the cup of redemption. That whole notion of being redeemed comes from the idea that we were deemed worthy in Eden. We were in right relationship with the one true God. And the God man Jesus wants to come and deem us again. He wants to make us worthy again of a right and intimate relationship with the Father. He redeems us. And it would be his blood that would be part of that redeeming mechanism in a sense. And remember that even in Genesis chapter 3 we learn that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood because the life is in the blood. So the most beautiful and the most valuable commodity in all the universe is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because look what it does. It takes eternal souls from death and brings them to life. Hear this word, brothers and sisters. Jesus' blood is the means by which you and I are delivered from death, eternal death, into the bright kingdom of life with our one true God. So we take this juice in its little cup as a representation of that precious commodity. And Jesus lifted up the cup and he said to his followers, take this and drink it, for it is my blood which is poured out. It's not spilled. It's purposely poured out for you that you might have a right relationship with one and true God, Father. Take this and drink it. Father, you've given yourself to us. We give ourselves to you. We thank you for the privilege of being called your own by the work and the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, our God and champion. Hear these things and be pleased with us, mighty one, as we seek to be more like your son. And we pray that in his name, Jesus, saying together, amen. Thank you for being online with us today and for being in the big room. We do glory in your presence and the Lord inhabiting our praise. Thank you for worshiping with us this week. And we do hope to see you next week. Blessings to you all. Pastor John back here again. If you are blessed by the service, let me ask you to do us a favor. Would you click on the like button below that little thumbs up? If you're listening on sermon audio, perhaps you can comment or even share the sermon with someone else. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at WBFVA. We're on the World Wide Web at WBFVA.org. Let us know if you'd like us to pray for you. If you'd like to support us financially, you can make donations through our website at WBFVA.org. Just click on Giving. You'll receive a tax-deductible receipt at the end of the year. Either way, we would love to hear from you or even have you visit us in person one Sunday. We meet at 46 Winchester Street in downtown Warrington, Virginia at 11 o'clock every Sunday morning. And now, may God bless you richly until we gather again.